Hey, it's Matt. Uh, today we're going to be talking with Glenn Nosley in a part two of a two-part podcast where we discuss the EMAP and some of the current applications that we're doing with it. Glenn does mention at one point a pressure relief valve application video. That'll be in the show notes, so if you want more information, I would check that out. But without further ado, enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to Manufacturing Unscripted. I'm your host, Matt Rawl. Today we're going to be doing part two of a two-part podcast about EMAPs. Uh, we are joined with president of Promus Incorporated, Glenn Nosley. Welcome back, Glenn. Thank you very much. Glad uh, to be here. Yep. And so last time we talked a little bit about the origin story of the EMAP, and today I kind of want to talk more about the now and, and what we're doing now. Um, again, for those who haven't heard part one, uh, Glenn and I have worked together for 10 years at Promise Incorporated. I've been mainly in the mechanical engineering side, and Glenn's been president of the company pretty much since I started. Um, so the the EMAP is a foundation product for Promise um, and has been for quite some time. So, uh, so the first question I have today um, is, is basically the, the EMAP is such a universal product um, and, and one thing that I, th- I think we, we, we haven't really even nailed down today because it is such a universal, universal product is how do you target applications? You know, you're, you're right. The, 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 the EMAP is, you know, we, we name it EMAP electromechanical assembly press because that was our original target market. When, when we, when we developed it, it was for press fits, pressing bearings and bushings and seats and guides and, and pins and so on. Uh, and that was our first expertise and what we really broke into the market for. But basically we have a very accurate, uh, servo electric ball screw actuator with built-in sensing and a very powerful software for different programming where you can program and go to a position or a force or hold a force and look for different rates of change and things like that. So there's a lot of different, uh, uh, capability that's built into the software. And over the years, uh, press fits now are probably 50, 60% of what we do. And the other 40, 50% of what we do is completely different. I mean, we, we do powder compaction. You know, if you have some kind of like composite metals or some other types of thing where you need to, to, to compress a material while you, while it cures or you heat it, a lot of crimping and staking and riveting and moving of metal. Uh, really about any type of application you could imagine where we, you have a linear motion and and control and particularly a force feedback or sensor feedback is would be useful we've probably done it i mean we've been doing this now since the early 90s i mean literally i think we sold our first system in like 1991 promos was founded in in 84 the first mm-hmm. years we did sensing the motion started uh, you know we actually started working on it in the late 80s with our first systems being in the early 90s so we're talking about close to 30 years, if not 30 years worth of, of uh, experience and, and applications. It's, I look back on some of the stuff we've done and been from very simple pressing a pin into a, into a, mm-hmm. a hole to uh, some, some pretty exotic stuff. Yeah, and, and another part of that question is, and, and obviously I can help you out a little bit with this as, as I asked this question, but can you speak to some of the things that we've done to adapt the EMAP to these various applications? Well, you know, uh, 
First off would be size and stroke. I mean, right. we are, are we do a lot of work in automotive. That's where we, we mm-hmm. grew up. And our first applications, you know, required three to ten thousand pounds. So that was kind of our our strong area. Uh, maybe a thousand pounds to ten thousand pounds. Uh, but then we got into um, much heavier stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, as you know, I mean, the, the we just uh, engineered and our first 500 kilonewton press uh, back uh, a few years ago. 500 kilonewtons is what 100,000, 112,000 pounds. Yeah, I just say 110,000. Yeah, 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 110, 112,000 pounds. Mm-hmm. And then we did an application, a powder compaction application, where we needed over 200,000 pounds. Mm-hmm. So we basically put two of those together on a platen yep. and and doubled the the the, the capacity capacity of the machine by using two of our 100,000 pound presses. So we've gone uh, quite high and we've designed presses that can go up to 400,000 pounds, never built them, but on paper. And uh, we've also done down into the the ounces. Which we have, you know, it's a shotgun question I had for you later in the show, but we have, we have physically built a mega Newton, right. our sister yep. company, which is two hundred thousand pounds. Yeah. Yep, yeah, we've so. actually have that that built, mm-hmm. and so uh, yeah, we have. Uh, so first would would be the the force flexibility mm-hmm. that we've developed over over the years. Uh, stroke is another. We've gone from very short to to much longer stroke mm-hmm. for different applications like. Uh, pressing uh, axles together and stuff, mm-hmm. you need longer strokes. So we've had to develop longer stroke for things like that. Um, and But a lot of it has, has been software-based. A mm-hmm. lot of it is bringing in other sensors. You know, force and torque is what we're expert at. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, one of my favorite applications is we were pressing to a, a pressure. And, yep. uh, and so, and that's actually one that uh, I've done a video on. So if anybody's interested, you could probably get the video off our website. Yep, and so some of the additional things that I think I wanted to touch on was, you know, we've done things, you know, we have um, slight iterations, right, of of the of the mechanics, right? So we have what we consider our close center line press, right? Mm-hmm. So that's allows you to mount them a lot closer together. We yep. have got a robot press. Yeah, we have a robot press specifically to be lighter weight and designs to, to go on the end of a robot. Yeah, and these are all based off of, you know, the base mechanics of an EMAP. You know, we've done a handheld press. Um, and, again, these are just utilizing basically the, the, the general EMAP technology, and, and, and we're, we're taking that and, and adapting it to the, the application. All right. One I'd like to expand on you is... The, the the robot press yep. and the compact press, you know, the the ability to, to use a smaller press, as you know, as as our head mechanical guy, is when we're designing uh, our presses, we design them in a way to make them very very robust, and mm-hmm. we optimize their uh, their their life because yep. a lot of stuff we do, you know, we're very mm-hmm. heavy again automotive industry, and and downtime is t- is taboo, so. Uh, but if you optimize something, uh, it, you may add weight to it. You add yep. some beefiness to it. Now, if you're going to put that on the end of a robot, uh, you need a really big robot to move yep. that around. So we've developed lighter weight solutions specifically for robots that a lot of times tend to be lower volume. So that's fine. And, and, and you do sacrifice a little bit of robustness in order to make them lighter yep. or you know, we wouldn't. We'd make them all lighter if, yeah, if I mean, it wasn't for the robustness. But 
but it's a great solution. It allows uh, we've allowed people to downsize the size of, of their robot. Yeah, what what we were able to do with that, just to kind of elaborate a little bit more, because we when we say we you know some items aren't as robust, what we what we did is we left the robustness in the key critical components. So what, right. what we discussed before, the load cell, the the ball screw, the motor, those items, same three to one factor that we know and love, mm-hmm. uh, where we were able to optimize our things like aluminum housing compared to steel housing. Um, things like that where, you know, when you're just doing a standard, you know, uh, assembly line press right, right, and right, it's on a giant frame. A C-frame, yeah. yeah, no one really cares. Um, but, you know, one of the biggest things we always would get in robot applications is is I need it to reduce weight. So so that was really a big push for that. And even then, you know, we we offer, you know, our parallel package compared to an inline package. We can even do things like that that basically allow a more configurable product to yep. anyone. I think it's funny that Matt took offense that I said his press was uh, less ro- his robot press was less robust. <laughs> well, I mean, your company. <laughs> so, so. Um, no, I agree. You're right. But but yeah, it's it's a we've we really are able to focus at this point on the key features and make sure that. The lifetime of those is is, is what Promise is known for. Yeah, and and, and I think one thing that you, you had mentioned as far as uh, you know what we've uh, what uh, modifications and things mm-hmm. we've made to presses. Promise, I mean, we have about thirty eight presses we call standard. Yeah. We could say we have fifty or seventy or a hundred because we've designed probably over a thousand presses. So it's kind of a, uh, a a nebulous number what you call standard, but the ones that we try to keep in stock and on the shelf and so on. But I think one one of Promise's strengths, and we've been in this business for so long, is that we do have special configurations for robot applications, for handheld applications. I mean, we even have the Remap, which is a mm-hmm. press where uh, the RAM rotates and we can, in, in a controlled way, with a servo motor and can measure torque. So, so yeah, we, uh, more than any other company in the industry, we have a, a wide variety of, of press uh, products to meet, you know, every application you have. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the next one I kind of is like a two-parter, uh, as well. Um, what does the future look like for the EMAP? You know, what, what are, you know, I know, again, I know what we're doing, but, but for the listeners, you know, where, where do you see, you know, and, and what is Promus doing to kind of keep the, the EMAP as the premier product as it's known to be? Well, a couple of things. We touched on this uh, in the first episode when we were talking about the the, the product, but the uh, one of our growth, our, our areas where we grew up was in, in the automotive industry. I mean, we have lots of friends in the automotive industry, a lot of people who, uh, who use our product and love our product. Uh, but the automotive industry is a little bit of a unique industry because uh, a lot of times they, you know, most factories, automotive factories have uh, a strong controls engineering mm-hmm. staff, a strong process engineering staff, a strong technical support. So uh, they can support products uh, and they also have volume, very high volume type of applications. So they can support products 
that maybe some other industries can't. Not all industries have that same level of, you know, some other industries, they might have one controls engineer in a whole plant. They don't mm-hmm. have a, a, a department. And so uh, one of the things we're working on is taking our technology and all the capability we can, we have, but putting it into a package in a way that is uh, more available to other industries, other co- other customers who may not have the, the high level of technical support that they have in the automotive industry, which is a benefit to the automotive industry too. It's a benefit to everybody. And so, th- so that is, uh, that's one thing that, that we're doing. And we're, it's kind of our low integration, mm-hmm. uh, easy supports strategy. And it's, it's something we've always strive for, but the technology of today allows it to, to really happen. So we're taking taking things that we've done very, very well in the past and trying to package it in a way that uh, is more standardized and, and e- easy to use. So that's probably uh, one of the big things. Uh, the other thing we're working on, again, is in a different packaging in order to... Uh, make things make the the control side of it smaller mm-hmm. um and then you know we've mentioned obviously automotive a lot and they're just we mentioned them just because they're the early adopters of servo press technology yes you know when it comes to manufacturing they just tend to be a little bit f- further ahead in in terms of technology than maybe the rest of the industries um and that's just more of a demand thing uh what other industries do you see us growing in? Well, you know, to go back in history, uh, you're right. When I mean, our background is automotive, mm-hmm. and you know, back I'm going back 30 years. Yeah. Automotive is what we knew. The founder of, of the company, Larry Stockline, uh, was very heavy in the automotive industry. Uh, did you know other things, aerospace and other play on like Caterpillar tractors mm-hmm. and John Deere's and things like that. But but he was really. Uh, spend a lot of time in automotive industry and we actually are located in brighton michigan and the target at the time was to be in the center of the automotive industry you know we're a six-hour drive away from cincinnati and milwaukee and chicago and toronto and buffalo new york and of course all the you know detroit Mm -hmm. and flint and all that was all automotive and so that is where we grew up and that was a big part of our business but over the last 30 years uh, we are in the defense industry. We're heavy in the engineering, uh, in the energy industry, in the medical industry. So, yeah, Promus has really uh, expanded into different areas. And uh, and the, the needs and applications are the same, but some of the form factors, some of the, mm-hmm. the way the product is packaged does change based on the different needs of the industries. Yeah, and then, you know, you have things like, you know, automotive is just, really down and dirty for the most part. I mean, they're they, they're a lot cleaner now, yeah. but, but that's just because that's just the way the trend is going. But realistically, they, they could still be down and dirty. Yeah. The new industries we're in, it's it's a whole new ballgame. Well, automotive, we do like transmissions and engines, which are, you know, got to be fairly clean area because the transmission mm-hmm. engine is a precise mechanical but it's not the same as medical right. or not the same as, you know, different kinds of pharmaceutical right. or food industry and stuff like that. There is a different level. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, so the so I have some kind of just quick questions. I mean, they don't need to be quick answers, but um, just kind of more for the, the listeners to kind of get a rough idea of what we've been able to do. And we've kind of touched on them all, uh, some of them a little bit already. Um, but we kind of just want to go through them. So 
Um, and obviously, I will help where I can help. Yeah, I'll be asking you these questions. Uh, largest EMAP promise has ever built and or sold. Right, which you answered, in, but you mentioned the, the one mega newton. <clears throat> we've, uh, the largest one we ever sold was 500 kilonewtons, which is a, uh, about 110,000 pounds, although we did uh, have, we had an application where we had to double those up, I mentioned, so we had 200,000 pounds. Mm-hmm. We have a, um, built a one mega newton, which is a 220,000 pound mm-hmm. unit. Uh, we've built it, we've tested it, but we've have we've not sold it, so we have that one uh, in availability, but not sold it. Yep. Uh, longest EMAP we've ever sold. Uh, I believe it was thirteen hundred millimeters, but is that correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I believe, from my memory, at least yeah, in the that, last ten years, uh, thirteen hundred was the longest, and it was a uh, twenty kilonewton. Yep, that's that's what I remember too. More common, we sell a lot of nine hundred millimeter, mm-hmm. eight hundred millimeter units. The so thirteen hundred was a little bit of a special. Um, and then I think the shortest I've seen is probably 40 millimeters, and that's on a large, like, 60-kilometer unit. Yeah, for for uh, crimping or staking yeah. or riveting, yep, yeah. where you just need a short stroke. Yeah. Um, the fastest EMAP promise is ever built. And this is kind of a trick question because we have a really fast product, but which was loosely based off EMAPs, but it's not. Yeah, we, same foundation. we have a product we call the Bolt, which is exceedingly fast. But since we're talking about ball screw presses today, I'll stick with the uh, ball screw actuators. And I want to say 800 millimeters per second. 1,300. 1,300 millimeters per second. We talked about it yesterday. The half <laughs> press. Uh, uh, we've done one that's 1,300 yeah. millimeters per second. I, um, I knew the press. I just didn't know how yeah. fast it went. Um, our standard is 200 pretty much all across you know, See, I haven't done lines. engineering in ten years, and but, you get dumber by the day. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's real easy for us to obviously adjust those speeds uh, yep. because we are servo driven. Um, it's just really a component swap. Yeah. Um, you did mention it um, earlier. Uh, I think it was in the last uh, podcast. But your favorite application that you've done? Yeah, it's you know. I did engineering for, for 25 years. I traveled all over the world doing different applications, and it's really difficult to pick out a favorite application. But uh, one of my favorites, and again, I, I did a video on this that uh, we can post a link to or talk um, maybe if you go to our website, but it was a pressure relief valve. And one of the reasons I thought it was so cool is that uh, this was a pressure relief valve where they were uh, the valve was a it's for a power steering unit and if you pump if you drive your steering wheel all the way over uh basically the the hydraulic fluid for your your steering has to go someplace or or you'll burn up the pump so it opens up this pressure relief valve and dumps into into the reservoir and so uh we uh our our customer had to make this much more accurate and we come up with a process to make it more accurate and one what made it uh, interesting is what they had done is they had pressed the valve seat in to compress the ball, the seat, and the spring mm-hmm. to a certain dimension. And then this was on a little dial machine. They'd spin it over and test it. And what we developed was testing it and making it at the same time. So making it to a function, calibrating every part. And I set this up. It was in Hamilton, Canada when we first set it up. And I was a little bit concerned because we'd never really tested this and I got there about 8 o'clock in the morning, 
And that thing ran unbelievably <laughs> well. Like three hours later, yep. we're done. Mm-hmm. I never. I took three hours to set this thing up. Something we yep. had invented from scratch. It worked so nicely. And I always remember we went to this uh, Irish pub, and I had fish and chips. And this was twenty years ago. Yep. It's still to this day one of my favorite applications. Well, it's funny because you know, obviously, one thing I've noticed with you is, you know, even transitioning as president of the company. You know, anytime we have a neat new application or a new product that we're looking at, you always say, you know, just just invite me so I can just listen because, you know, you can you can take Glenn out of engineering, right? But you can't take engineering out of Glenn. I love that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, still a fun part of the job. Um, what has been your most difficult application? And I guess it doesn't have to be limited just to you, but it could be a, a promise application. In your Probably. Uh, you know, we've done a lot of challenging, fun stuff. Uh, but one of the cool things we did is we were involved in uh, developing a rack and pinion test system, test solution, where we used a couple of our presses to apply loads on the end of the rack as we were using one of our torque units to drive mm-hmm. the pinion. So we're doing simulated loads as we're driving the pinion and doing a bunch of calculations between, this is a hydraulic rack, so we're measuring the pressure and flow on the hydraulics of the rack as we're measuring the torque and angle on the pinion as we're controlling forces on the end of the rack. And uh, we, we perfected that and uh, I don't know, 19 to 21 different machines we sold doing this application, but there was a lot of pre-work put in the, on the first one perfecting it. And that was one of the ones in the last episode we talked about how uh, me and Walter and Andy spent a lot of time uh, developing mm-hmm. our monitoring. Yep. The same three guys, me, Walter, and Andy were on a, on a builder's floor for a month and and Walters was at the time our head of development and Andy was the head of our software department yep. and we were doing testing and writing software right on the customer's floor to make this thing work properly but then we standardized on it and like I said they bought either 19 or 21 of the systems total so it was a it was a big success for Promus. Um, the next ones are kind of more fun ones and obviously some of these you're gonna have to wait till all the craziness in the world's over now but What's the farthest you've traveled? Because for those that don't know, Promise, you know, we are a global company. We're not limited to just just the states. As a kid, uh, I mentioned in the first episode that I thought I was going to be a carpenter. And now, uh, many, many years later, I would have never guessed the places <laughs> I've been in the world. Uh, when Larry Stockline founded the company back in 1984, he positioned it, I think I mentioned this yep. earlier, he positioned it in Brighton, Michigan to capture the automotive industry. And his goal was a six-hour driving circle to hit a bunch of automotive stuff. Uh, now, 30-something years later, uh, we are in Korea and China and Thailand and Malaysia and all over Europe mm-hmm. and South America. We are truly a, a global company, and I've been to every corner of the world. In fact, in 2014, I circled the earth. I went from Chicago to Japan to Korea to Poland mm-hmm. to Berlin to, to Amsterdam yep. and back to, to Detroit and all in one trip. In fact, I did that in about 10 days. So, so allegedly, there's a system in Australia 
Oh, we but, have multiple systems in but, Australia. But I, yeah. that one, no one ever gets called on that one. So, so. <laughs> that was, uh, yeah. Scott yeah. Stoddard did the original service on that. And I don't know if anybody's been back, but we have multiple systems in Australia. So is, is there any place, and maybe it's Australia, that you've not traveled to that you still want to go? I've not been to Australia. That Just would actually be spiders. one. Yeah, at the time, I wanted to do the app. Uh, this was on, uh, I mentioned the, the, mm-hmm. the Rack and Pinion. Yep. This was a rack and pinion function tester that went to Australia, and uh, and Scott did the service and stuff on it. And yeah, I've not, I've not been to Australia and different places in South America. I mean, uh, yeah. Brazil's the primary place I've been yeah. in in South mm-hmm. America. But there's, I just love down down there. I love that area. Yeah. Um, and then maybe we've already touched on it as well. But what's your most memorable moment moment um, at Promise over the last you know thirty plus years at Promise? Wow. That kind of puts me on the spot because <laughs> probably most memorable. That's the first thing that comes to mind. I, it wasn't hiring Matthew Rawl, but <laughs> I wouldn't put it very high on my most memorable list either. So uh, uh, most memorable. We'll exclude moment, the podcast. I yeah, and it's I I would have to say, and I mentioned this in in episode one of this is when. Uh, I met Larry Stockline. I mm-hmm. worked at GM at the time, and I met Larry Stockline, and he and I got along really well. Larry's the founder of Promess, and this was back in uh, 1986. Yeah, we definitely want to get yeah. him on the show. Yeah, we have to. Get, we have to get him on, and he. Uh, but and we got along, and Larry invited me to his home, and uh, we we met, we talked, and he basically offered me a job, and I yeah. took it, and I've been here 36 years now. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, great. Uh, thanks again, Glenn. I mean, that's um, you've been uh, great. Uh, we can't thank you enough for being on the show. That was fun. Um, obviously, we're definitely going to have you back. Um, there's plenty more topics that you know. Um, you know, being the old guy at the company, we, <laughs> we definitely have a lot to share. I've so. turned from the young guy. I remember <laughs> when I was always the youngest guy in the room to being now the oldest guy in the room yeah, all the yeah, time. I'm, yeah, I'm getting there as well. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, we definitely want to bring you back on the show. Um, definitely have a lot more topics. Uh, and for everyone who listen, who's listening, if you enjoyed what you heard today, um, don't forget to subscribe to the show, Manufacturing Unscripted. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by Promise Incorporated, hosted by Matthew Rawl, produced by myself, Lauren Rawl, mixed and edited by Ben Parsons. Please make sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at podcast at promiseinc.com.